and welcome to another episode of Canalis Inside Conversations, where we are talking about some of the big, biggest things that are happening in the tech industry right now. And uh, Alistair, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen quite a lot of news and announcements. And so we're going to quickly run through uh, a bunch of these uh, topics uh, um, that we've seen in this period. Uh, let's start here. Um, Recently, we've heard that Jenny Flinders, the uh, channel chief at VMware, has left the company. Um, and this actually comes pretty soon after um, Joyce Mullen announced that she was also going to be leaving, um, vacating her position as channel chief from Dell. Alistair, were you surprised about both of these announcements? I, I was, actually. And I guess uh, the interesting thing about Jenny is that the announcement was was pretty muted, there was no major, major uh, press release or anything about her leaving VMware. She's only been there for a couple of years, I think. She came from Microsoft, and she was there to really bring about a change in their go-to-market. They they launched a new program, Partner Connect, which went live at the beginning of this year, which is a pretty radical departure for VMware. So on one hand, it was kind of a surprise that she went so soon after the launch and after so little time at the company. I think um, there are some reasons behind her departure. Obviously, they're not talking about it, but it was it was quite a quick, uh, a quick move. And, and as I said, a quite muted move uh, in terms of how they presented it. I think uh, there are a lot of partners out there that have kind of struggled with the shift that VMware is putting in place. And, um, and maybe there's some link to that. Yeah, and again, going back to Jenny, I think her 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 time there was very brief, as you highlighted, and some of the comments that we've seen and heard from partners around her departure was around things like, you know, they didn't even know that she had left. They hadn't even necessarily. Some had highlighted that they hadn't even met her during her tenure there, and it's it's starkingly similar to the same kind of comments that were leveled at Ross Brown, one of their one of VMware's previous uh, channel chiefs, um, also an ex-Microsoft uh, um, exec, and similar kind of comments made when, when he departed about not being so visible. So there does seem to be a very different kind of culture or, or um, expectation that's uh, placed on the channel chiefs at, uh, at VMware, that they're not necessarily frontline um, people that are necessarily meeting and engaging with channel their top channel partners across the globe, but more kind of back-end operational people And um, versus uh, Joyce, even though, yes, she was, um, from an operational standpoint, got a lot of things executed, she was still very visible and very engaged with, uh, with her channel partners across the globe. And she's done a lot to uh, further Dell's channel business. I think it's now the largest channel business in in, in the in the world, or the, the vendor with the largest channel business. You know, she's done a phenomenal job there. So, and partners talk very glowingly of her. And I think there's a degree of nervousness among some partners now that she's gone as to who's going to take over and whether some of the 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 um, benefits they've seen under Joyce in terms of the focus on indirect business, particularly in enterprise, will be lost. Whereas it's a slightly different story with VMware partners, like you said, who maybe didn't engage with Jenny at all or who didn't see her at all, who are now perhaps slightly more optimistic that they'll bring in somebody who's more engaged. I think a lot of the regional um, teams were much more present and, and you know, present with the partners. And, and that's also coming across from some of the conversations we've had. 
Yeah. And so certainly in the case of Dell, there's going to be a lot of eyes on who is that next appointment that gets put into place. Um, you know, we suspect that and it's almost been said as much that it is very likely to come from inside Dell. Um, I, I think a big kind of fear to to potentially worry about is whether or not they will use this as an opportunity to drive some restructural changes. You know, we've seen companies in the past shift um, um the kind of the reporting lines from where the channel chiefs, the regional channel chiefs report centrally up to the global channel leader as it currently does at Dell, um, potentially moving it to um, reporting to the regional um, sales leaders. Um, and, you know, this would be a worry for um, for partners because Joyce has been a great advocate for um, for the channel in, internally. And you'd worry that would that role become bit more kind of operational and less uh, less impactful. And so this is not something that we've necessarily heard, but it's something that we've seen in the past. And again, something to look out for in terms of how they how they replace uh, replace Joyce. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we should also highlight, um, as we've been talking about Dell and VMware, that uh, we did cover it on the last episode, but um, there were rumors that Dell was exploring uh, selling its stake in VMware. And uh, since we've uh, uh, recorded that episode. They've come out and announced that that is what they're doing. They're exploring their um, what to do with their stake in VMware. I don't know if there's much more to say about it. Uh, we covered it in the last episode, but um, obviously just highlighting that it is something that they're looking at doing, and it would be a radical departure from you know everything that they've set up to date in that you know VMware almost being the crown jewels in Dell's portfolio. Now they're you know for financial reasons I think exploring what to do with it. Um, any any other thoughts on this? Well, I think it sort of reflects how um, battle lines are shifting within the industry. I mean, it's not imminent. Certainly, I think Dell said that it won't happen before 2021 at the earliest that they would sell their 80% stake, but. Um, if we look at some of the other announcements that have happened in the industry recently um, in terms of acquisitions, we see some big changes happening in, in the landscape, particularly from a software perspective. Um, I know we're going to talk about HP buying Silverpeak, um, which is a, an important SD-WAN player. And of course, VMware is an SD-WAN player in its own right. It's made some moves in that space and it's positioning itself, I think, um, for the future. Um, you can see that in their programs and so on. So I think we're we're at a point that we're going to see a lot of um, jostling between the major technology vendors as they come from either a software, you know, VMware with its core business moving into networking, SD-WAN, and end-user compute, obviously. Um, HPE now expanding into SD-WAN, or even more so with with Silverpeak to really strengthen its um, its Aruba offering. And and others as well. So it's it's a really interesting time for the industry. Absolutely. So Alistair, you've already spoiled our next topic, but uh, <laughs> let's let's dive into it anyways. Um, HP has uh, announced its acquisition of uh, or its, its intent to acquire Silverpeak, um, which is one of the leaders in SD WAN. Um, you know, HPE has very much stated it's one of its. Um, uh, its strategies is to win at the edge. Um, Aruba, its Aruba portfolio plays a huge part in that with its uh, um, wireless access points, but also it does have its own um, you know, SD-WAN capabilities. Um, but with Silverpeak, which seemingly will tuck into the Aruba business, it's really extending and expanding its um, its uh, capabilities into this uh, into this market. And as you say, you know. 
we are seeing, and it'll come up a lot in different um, parts of this episode, but different battle lines being drawn. And really this further extends HPE's kind of position as almost a competitor to companies like VMware, right? It recently announced um, uh, its uh, Esmeralda portfolio. And as part of that, it has some kind of container management software, which again, uh, competes with what um, uh, VMware is looking to do. And so really HPE is doubling down on its, um, you know, on it as its position in, in, in edge, um, in software. Um, what are some of your other thoughts around on, on Silver Peak? Well, I think SD-WAN is such a hot topic at the moment because obviously it's all about supporting the move to a distributed workplace that we've uh, workforce as we've seen over the last three or four months. So everyone is now really targeting their sites on that as, as an opportunity, um, whether that's the, those players that are already in that space, you know, VMware, as I mentioned. Um, uh, you've also got some of the players like Palo Alto Networks, Fortinet, Cisco, obviously, Juniper, you know, there's a lot of players in that space. It's a, it's quite a crowded market, um, but I think it's a critical part of the the the, the overall um, environment that that you need to play in. Um, and I think there's a lot of business that's going to come out of this space. Absolutely. Let's move on. So uh, we've also seen uh, Google Cloud um, kick off its uh, now virtual event, uh, Google Cloud Next. Um, also running uh, as a on, I mean obviously running as an online event, but running as a multi-week event, and we saw that with HPE Discover, which was being run as a as an event for you know a period of six weeks as they rolled out different announcements, as they kind of um, uh, allowed you know each week to have a different theme and a different focus area. Also trying to maybe minimize the amount of content that they were trying to you know provide over video uh, format in one kind of cons one dense period. Um, and so Google Cloud's taken a similar um, approach. Um, a number of announcements and things there. What really caught my eye was um, uh, confidential VMs was, I thought, quite an interesting part of that announcement where they're launching this new type of VMware off, uh, sorry, virtual machine offering, which runs on AMD Epic um, processors, um, adding a real... Um, at a deep level of security um, where the VMs are encrypted even when running in memory, not just when kind of uh, when, when stored um, or in transit. So I think Google really positioning itself as having much you know, you know, deeper security features and quite uh, an important leap, I think, for Google Cloud. Um, but there were other things that they talked about. Yeah. I remember, I mean, if you go back 12 months, I think at that point, Google was really talking about their ambition to be the number two cloud, public cloud provider in the world. And I, I haven't heard that so frequently being mentioned as a, as a goal by, um, by the CEO or by you know, the rest of the organization. And I think actually their, their strategy has shifted subtly, or maybe not so subtly, um, that they recognize their, the importance they can play is really um, is really in the middle uh, between the public cloud providers on one side and the, and the infrastructure players on the other, and actually providing the sort of operational and management platform and things like, as you mentioned, confidential computing um, and industry-specific solutions um, to make them more relevant. I think they've recognized that it's going to be an, an incredibly difficult stretch for them to catch up with Azure or AWS. So now with things like their multi-cloud management platform 
Anthos, which they're expanding, which they're really putting a lot of investment behind, you know, they can support customers running on AWS. And I think very soon they're going to support customers running on Azure. Um, so it's all part of, a, I think, a smart strategy to to make themselves more important in the overall sort of hybrid IT landscape that we're seeing um, the industry move towards. And, you know, partners are very much part, part of that. I mean, we, we want to talk about the partner opportunity. And I think we're talking to SIs, for example, whose customers are now looking at the migration of enterprise workloads, maybe SAP, maybe others to the cloud, but maintaining some of their on-premise and suddenly Google becomes more relevant. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think they've got, I think they've got something here. Um, and I think the partners see that as well. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting move by them. Mm -hmm. And I guess, uh, so the, the event is still, the Google Cloud Next event is still running. So let's look forward to see what else comes out of uh, out of that virtual conference. Um, this week, we're, we're also looking forward to uh, Microsoft and its earnings um, coming out this week. Um, and by all accounts, we expect Microsoft to continue to have a, um, a strong quarter and a strong end of year. Um, in their fiscal Q3, they announced, uh, or they, they showed 15% uh, revenue growth. The consensus forecast is a little bit muted from that performance for their fiscal Q4. Um, analysts expecting about 8% uh, uh, growth to be announced, but still, given the performance of some of the other technology companies um, that have showed revenue declines, I think 8% would be a very strong performance in this kind of current climate. Um, it should also be highlighted that they, there have been some reports that they're announcing some small-scale layoffs, but by all accounts, this seems to be part of their um, continued uh, as they reach the end of their fiscal year they're budgeting for their um, for their next fiscal year and really just aligning resources and, and kind of de-emphasizing some of their other areas you know they've already announced that they're closing retail for example so I'm sure that's um, part of that uh, part of that announcement but overall Microsoft uh, 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 has been a strong performer and I, I think we can continue ex to expect them to have um, uh, good performances, especially in areas like uh, cloud around Azure. Um, yeah, what, what, that, what, what do you think? Well, I think that 8% growth probably reflects some, and it's going to reflect, I mean, we're, we don't know yet, but uh, some really strong performances in some parts and, and maybe not so strong performances in others. You know, they're, they're going to be affected in some in some parts of their business like anyone else, everyone else by, by the COVID crisis. But my expectation is that their Azure business is going to grow pretty strongly as it has been, I think obviously Teams has been um, has been a critical part of the the whole collaboration shift, and um, you know they they are they're going to deliver some some I think uh, some good results. I mean the other interesting piece of news that came out around Microsoft was its partnership with Citrix, talking about some of the uh, the sort of shifting landscape uh, or the shifting alliances in the in the technology space. And Citrix has been an interesting player in terms of suddenly finding massive relevance as organizations of A, uh, deployed VDI to support their customers working from home, but also are now looking at the future of their workspace environment, you know, how, how users access applications, what sort of plat virtual desktop platforms they're using. And actually, this is what this partnership's all around. Microsoft has sort of identified Citrix as its preferred workspace partner. It's interesting because Microsoft has its own 
digital workspace offering um, Windows Virtual Desktop. Um, so there is a bit of competition there, but um, Citrix is kind of a few layers above where Microsoft sits in that. And in return, Citrix has, looked, has um, identified Microsoft as its preferred cloud platform as it migrates its customers from on-premise to, to the cloud. And just one aside, we did talk about subscriptions and the move to subscriptions in the last episode. I think Citrix is a great example of that. And I'm expecting, from what I'm hearing, that they're going to go fully subscription, you know, get uh, rid of all perpetual license for, for new customers from some time in the, in the second half. So it will be a big shift and an example of, of where we see um, where we see vendors going in, in terms of software. And maybe just one last point on this. Um, it's also an example of these changing alliances, as I mentioned, because actually what we're seeing is as Microsoft kind of highlights Citrix as their preferred uh, workspace provider, we see a similar thing with VMware and AWS. Mm -hmm. So the two the two sides are are drawing up their their battle lines, as it were. Um, I mean, they both have partnerships, mutual partnerships on both sides, but I think there is definitely a preference happening here. And partners are going to have to figure out where they're going to invest, which vendors. I mean, the good thing is it creates preference for customers, it creates opportunities for, for, for customers. So partners can benefit in all of this, I think, um, mm -hmm. as their as customers look to, to the workspace of the future. It's really interesting to see kind of four, you know, big tech titans really go deep after this opportunity. And obviously we've seen virtual desktop um, virtual workspace solutions um, for many years now, but we haven't really seen it as being a, um, a, a kind of a wild sca wide, wide scale deployment as a cloud-based solution. Um, and really it's taking these kinds of deep partnerships, I think, to really drive that opportunity into the market. And especially in this kind of current COVID, if not post-COVID world, where we do expect there to be a lot more remote workers, these type of cloud-based workspace solutions could be a next incredible opportunity for, for partners and for the technology companies that are participating in this space. So yeah. um, it, it's really interesting to see these alliances, these deep alliances form. Um, the other point about um, Citrix moving to subscriptions, I mean, that would be um, quite a bold move, um, but obviously, you know, one that other vendors have taken in the past. Um, I think it's easy to point to Adobe as probably one of the flagship companies that really went full on into this from perpetual to subscriptions. And by all accounts, it was a challenging journey, at least in the short term, um, in terms of what it did to their financials, what it did to um, their stock price. But in the long run, um, they've executed tremendously. They've stayed on the path. They stayed on that strategy. And, and absolutely now you'd look at them as one of the um, uh, as the highlights of companies that have really made that transition incredibly successfully. So yeah. I think another one to uh, to watch in the coming in the coming years. It's still a risk. I mean, I think that's the challenge that customers across the globe still look for choice. And mm -hmm. in certain regions, subscriptions are less popular than in others. I mean, there's even compliance challenges that some customers have in terms of going full in in terms of, you know, OPEX or subscription type spending. So there is a risk involved in that. Um, and, you know, it will be interesting. I think, you know, Adobe kind of owned, um, it owned its market space really. And that's a benefit if you're, you know, if you're the, the leader and, and really the dominant player, whereas Citrix is, faces other competitors. So I, for existing customers, um, you know, I think who, who rely on Citrix, they will probably move in that, 
you know, happily in that direction or they'll, they'll move in that direction because they want to stay with Citrix. I think it's new customers that may be a bit more of a challenge. But as you said, the whole industry is moving in this direction anyway. Mm-hmm. So we've also heard uh, uh, rumors um, that um, that Datto, or maybe it's even confirmed, Datto is planning um, its IPO. Um, it, it has been something that they've been talking about for a while, but um, it, it seems it's they're looking, exploring whether they can even do it this year, um, potentially being the next kind of big tech um, IPO. Um, this obviously comes after um, a, a period where they have announced, um, they've done their own layoffs as a part of uh, COVID and you know, kind of restructuring due to softening demand. So on some, on some, in some basis, it seems a bit of a surprising time to try an IPO. But maybe on the other hand, um, the fact that they've lowered their cost structure makes might make it more um, attractive from an IPO standpoint. But then, of course, you've also got the private equity side of it, and maybe them looking to kind of cash out. So, um, have you? Have you heard anything about this? Uh, um, any takes on this IPO? Well, it is an interesting time to to try and do this because I think the perception in the market for companies like Datto and also Connectwise, which has made some cuts, is that you know they're in a particularly vulnerable space where um, you know SMB their end user SMB customers are kind of looking at their budgets or are cash flow constrained, and that's going to impact their growth this year. So the question is, are investors going to buy into the sort of long-term vision that Datto and others like them are are touting, um, which up to now has been sort of successful? But I think you know we also we've also seen some of their business model being exposed through this through this period of economic uncertainty with you know customers over over um, committing and things like that. So it, it's it's a, it, it's an interesting time to do. It'll be interesting. Particularly interesting to see what sort of valuation they manage to get, but I think the the expectation is that they they are you know they're trying to aim for quite a high valuation. Mm-hmm. So another big announcement that we um, we've heard in the past uh, couple of weeks is uh, HP has launched its new partner program, Amplify. Um, we won't talk to this too much because we do have a report uh, coming out on this uh, shortly. Um, but it is a radical departure from their um, current program, um, and really their program that um, you know they adopted partner uh, partner first after the split. Um, but pr- prior to that, they had partner one as part of the greater HP, um, and since so since partner one really this is the first radical departure. Um, probably the main points to highlight is that they are moving away from their metallic naming, um, so abandoning the platinum, gold, silver, etc., um, moving to a two-track program, Synergy and Power. Um, there's really a lot to unpack here. I don't want to go into too much detail as we do have a report coming out, but what are your kind of top-line takes on on this? Well, it is, it is a dramatic change for them, and, and... – I feel that over the last sort of year or so, um, Partner First has kind of lost a little bit of momentum. And um, I mean, you particularly see that when you try and sort of search HP partners and their partner locator, it's it's a bit out of date and so on. So I think that there has been a general uh, preparation, I guess, for this big change, which is all about digital, really. I think that's one of the big components of it. Um, help uh, recognizing and helping partners that have um, to work collaboratively with HP where those partners have really built a digital cap- set of capabilities like online selling, but not just that, marketing, you know, customer engagement, all those kind of things to create a much more 
um, integrated relationship between HP and its partners. And I think that's what will reflect those at the top, the, the sort of prem, premier tra tier or track power level, as opposed to the synergy level, which is the kind of the entry. Well, it's not even entry, it's a standard level, I would say. But it's going to require a lot of data sharing between HP and its partners. It's going to require a lot more investment, I think, by partners and commitment, I think, to, to HP as well. Um, which, I mean, it's a great vision. I think I can understand why HP is doing it. It's whether the partners are going to be prepared to commit as much as they want to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, look out for our report coming on coming on that uh, on this announcement shortly. So we're, uh, we should wrap up soon. Uh, we've covered a lot of different uh, topics that have happened in tech over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, uh, but just. To, just to finish off, you know, what are we hearing from uh, how the channel is performing? Um, obviously, it's a still we're still in the midst of uh, of COVID pandemic, but overall, it seems that the channel is performing very well. Yeah, we've we've been running a survey. We just published it uh, last week um, on the channel to sort of understand how they're performing, and it's a it's quite a polarized picture actually in terms of revenue growth. We've seen a pretty decent proportion of partners that have grown in in the second quarter. Um, and uh, an almost similar amount that have sort of seen their business, their revenue decline. But I think there's lots of things at play here. You know, um, we're hearing stories from partners who've seen their profits grow, even if their revenue has gone down because they've managed to save costs through travel and, and, um, and obviously through the furlough schemes and things like that. Others who've just, you know, seen massive growth in their revenue because of demand for PCs, for um, security, for networking, for all the collaboration technologies to help their customers go through this big dramatic shift they've had to go through during the COVID crisis. Um, and so, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff here, I guess the question was, so we're looking at all the results that are coming out now. And I think we'll see, um, we'll probably see some partners that, as I say, growing in both revenue and profits, but some that also decline and have hit, been hit quite hard by the current crisis. Question is what happens going forward? Um, and I think partners are, um, you know, I think there is going to be something of a concentration uh, in the channel between the big and the and the small ones. Those who are best positioned to kind of weather the storm, who've made, pivoted their sales and marketing um, capabilities towards much more sort of virtual or digital are, are doing much better, or if they're in a particularly strong growth area or market. Um, so I think there's there's going to be some fallout, but I think there are also going to be some some winners out of this in the channel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big stories in tech overall is that you know even if revenue isn't revenue is still relatively, um, I would say, is performing relatively well con conditions considered. Um, but what is performing exceptionally well is profits, and uh, and I think. You know, this is a time where a lot of traditional expenses are not being uh, spent on. There's a lot of activities which have been cut, and so while even if you look at the a lot of the tech companies, um, quite often they have beaten revenue expectations, um, or sorry, they have missed revenue expectations, but they've beat profitability um, expectations. I think that just goes to show that um, the cost cutting is helping a lot of these companies across tech, and there is still decent. Um, demand out there. So that is making for quite a healthy picture for um, a lot of technology companies. And yeah. uh, hopefully that will continue. Um, so we've covered a lot this episode. Alistair, thanks for your time. Enjoyed the conversation. And uh, we look forward to uh, our next episode in a couple weeks time. Good to talk to you, Alex. Take care.